Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode is all about how junior lawyers can become high achievers with Michael Shaw. In this episode, Michael and I discuss the findings of his report that surveyed firms across the spectrum of scope, size and practice area, asking what they want to see more from their junior talent. We discuss how you can learn to develop these skills throughout your legal career and just why they're so important. Let's get into it. So hi, Michael. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Ah, brilliant. No, thanks for having me, Harry. It's a pleasure. And talking about something uh, which is definitely relevant for me today, and I'm sure will be relevant for a lot of uh, listeners who are tuning in, which is about how to sort of prepare yourself for, I guess, entering the world of practice and being as kind of future-proofed as possible and the sort of key skills and core skills that recruiters are are looking for and that feel that a lot of students are lacking. So um, I think... You know, having read through this report, which we're going to be discussing, um, it, it was certainly a learning experience for me, learning about the sort of differences between, um, you know, the world of academia and the world of practice within within law firms. Um, and, you know, right in the introduction, the, the sort of report gets to the point and there's a notable gap of essential skills that law degrees are not preparing students for. So mm-hmm. hopefully people who are kind of listening in and, and wanting to practice in the profession or, or perhaps people who already are um, will, will get a, a greater understanding as to what else is needed beyond the kind of basics that the that, that law degree or anything else might, might teach you. Um, I think perhaps a really good sort of starting question then might be to give a little bit more context about this report. So, um you know, a little bit about yourself, who's putting it together, who you're interviewing, the sort of uh, methodology behind it, um, and uh, yeah, the sort of process that went into finding out this this information about sort of making junior lawyers as, as high achievers as possible. Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to give a bit of an overview. Um, so basically, we at uh, Keys Consulting, we... <sighs> This whole area of, of um, and the reasons behind this um, research that we did was was a new new area for us altogether. Uh, we mm-hmm. typically, as a consultancy, would work on um, processes mainly. So we really focus on everything that's you know the operational side of running a law firm and all the skills that are involved with it. So typically, we would work with more senior stakeholders in the organization. Um, but as part of that work, um, and as and I should add to it, we are all. Uh, we all have a non-legal background, sort of. Yeah. That's a, like a principle of, of how we set up the company. Uh, we're all non-lawyers, and and that's all for reasons of diversity. So, every single engagement has, uh, you know, there's a huge learning curve for us involved as well, where we learn more about the profession and why things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of these issues that we come across is is, and this is then triggered the report is, junior lawyers, you know, they they spend a lot of time and money. Uh, going to university and they uh, only the brightest are being hired of course and you know like all the right uh, everyone is doing the right things but then they come into the office on the first day and and uh, we've seen it uh, over and over again that uh, their motivation dropped quite quickly suddenly when they realized that after all this time that they've already spent they haven't really got the skills to do the day job mm. um, which for us again as outsiders was like very surprising. Why, why is that the case? You know, it didn't make any sense to us. And at the time, we already worked with uh, the University of Exeter as we helped their business and law degree students with some practical business skills on active listening and negotiation and, and other topics too. And so we only knew um, this one law school and, for, and, and they had a very... Hmm, uh, a practical strategy if I may call it so they really wanted to prepare their students for day one of becoming a lawyer in the real world if you'd like 
Um, they, they are not following a strategy of teaching black, black letter law. So our, our experience was very limited and, and we just saw there was a gap. Something was not you know, quite aligned and then we wanted to learn more for ourselves. So we set out to ask the firms. Um, we are based in the Southwest, so we, we limited it to the Southwest for, for simple travel reasons. But mm -hmm. we, it was important to us to talk to a wide range of the, of the law firms, not just the big ones that hire the most uh, trainees, which have, you know, is, is, is a relevant point for the research. But it was important to us that we talk to niche firms, regional firms, national ones and international ones um, to really get a broad picture of, of that situation for the, for the whole sector. And the way we approached it was uh, it was not a, a quantitative research, uh, mm -hmm. which would have had its advantages, but it was a qualitative one, which basically means we go in and ask big open questions, interviewed managing partners, training partners or HR and L&D experts in those organizations and really wanted to hear from them in their own words, you know, what does impact junior lawyers effectiveness when those bright people come from university into your organization? What do they all in inverted commerce struggle mm -hmm. with? You know, what's what, what do they find difficult and what do then have these organizations, the firms spend time and money and effort on to to upskill them on? What are those common themes? That's that's what we wanted to learn. But it's really interesting to see how each of these findings that you've been developing have kind of been reflected across different practice areas, across firms from sizes who are you know, extremely small through to you know, 900 plus strong as the sort of survey details. Um, and, and I think it'd be great to start with the first one, which which the sort of data indicates is, is, is necessary and is kind of sought after across the board. So regardless of your practice area, regardless of the, the size of the firm you're working for, which is attention to detail. Um, and I think a lot of students might grasp the concept of this, but they are worried that, you know, this isn't something that I have going into the, into um, the world of practice and, uh, you know, that's going to that hold me back in some way. Um, but the first sort of key finding you detailed is that attention to detail is not a skill, but instead uh, a learned attitude. So um, what was your sort of findings there in terms of um, uh, the firm's approach and, and sort of views on, on attention to detail? Yeah, it was indeed, as you said, the, the, the strongest learning. So we've, we've collected, I can't quite remember, about 120 different points, what people fed back to us, what, you know, what gaps are. But uh, way over 90%, almost everybody said attention to detail is something that people who come from university and who've not really worked uh, uh, anywhere else yet before... Um, generally don't have that attention to detail. And what that meant really is like, I, I think the strongest example that was often um, uh, shared with us is just the way they would communicate then internally, but also with clients mm -hmm. um, that, you know, basic grammatical rules were, you know, not, yeah, maybe even ignored, you know, like, mm. Um, you know, me, me as a foreigner, is, <laughs> there's not much I can talk about <laughs> this. But, uh, uh, you know, basic things like when do I use yours sincerely or yours faithfully mm -hmm. um, or, or just punctuation. And it was like, you know, they... The feedback we got is that a lot of uh, young talent then has a bit of a slapdash approach. Either they have a slapdash approach to communication and just sort of like quickly write an email to a, to a client. Uh, uh, not that isn't very succinct or isn't structured. It's just a little bit, you know, like a, a dump of information and, and uh, they don't think about that. Um, or uh, they are really still very much then in the, in the sort of 
academic way of writing and they write an essay and send that mm-hmm. over to the customer uh, that again doesn't have like you know it definitely won't be succinct uh, would have a lot of uh, technical language in it uh, maybe even some latin just to top it <laughs> off you know because that's what you do right that's that's how you achieve the better marks in university and, and that's what mm-hmm. the, you're being pushed towards and that's what you've learned and therefore um I think that's and why we gave you the title of it's not a skill but a learned attitude is because we all know how to do it. It's just that the university pushes you into a different direction as to what is actually required in the in the in the you know in a commercial setting, where mm-hmm. the definition of what good looks like is just a different one in, in university in an academic world. It, and it has to be a different one. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just there needs to be an awareness that I need to communicate internally and with my especially with my customers, with my clients. In a, in a different way and just pay attention because what happens if you don't is then your senior colleagues the the you know your line managers your partners whoever is uh, checking your work after some time they will get quite frustrated um, because they'll be basically going over whatever you do with a red pen and it's a waste of their time mm. it's just really expensive for the law firm to to be always having to double check what you send out as a, as a junior and there has to be a quality control no question Mm-hmm. But, you know, basic grammatical rules that are, you know, people that people are aware of, um, you know, are still being yeah, just just missed out on. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, I thought this was really interesting. And as someone who kind of really experienced that shift in writing style from, you know, the academic nature of the LLB, to kind of trawling through textbooks and journal articles and writing very kind of, you know, thesis style or essay style writing on you know the the concepts of law then right through to the lpc which is very practically focused and of course that practical focus is going to have another additional element to it once you're actually speaking to clients directly versus um you know simply drafting the advice or doing it in a simulated manner so um absolutely i think i I resonate entirely with the idea that these different practice uh, of writing styles um need development but i think thankfully what the report also detailed was that this is something which is developed along the way regardless um throughout your training contract so obviously the, the mm. whatever your sort of method of training is whenever you graduate from university and enter the world of law um is very much learning experience on the job and this is certainly a skill which will be developed alongside your additional kind of specialist knowledge or sex knowledge or, or anything else alongside it absolutely absolutely and, and maybe one thing to add is uh, there is the different types of writing but Generally, attention to detail is a bit, you know, it being an attitude. Um, the the thing we sort of are wondering about and are in the current phase learning more and more at the moment as well is, you know, are junior lawyers being made aware in university already about how to be effective as mm-hmm. as a in the working environment or even in a, in a personal setting? It doesn't matter, you know, for there to be conscious thought about. You know who am I? Why am I? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And and you know what's what's the purpose of me being here? And uh, how do I need to be coming across to to my peers and my clients? And what sort of impressions do I want to make? And and there is the there is a um, hmm, a trap maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, because it's such a competitive environment. It's it's and especially now in the current climate. It's but if you actually secured one and you're there on the first day, of course you want to impress everybody. Um, and but you're just at the beginning of an, yet again another learning curve. And and that's another thing I we we were fed back is that junior talent then gets a little bit too eager to impress, uh, especially colleagues and and more senior staff. Mm-hmm. Um, Though obviously they haven't got the skills quite yet to, to really do the job perfectly, they're still in a in you know still going to learn a lot. 
Um, so there's a lot of uh, rushing, sort of, you know, not an appreciation for quality. Maybe, you know, quantity is a little bit too important for, for many at mm. that stage. Mm. And, and that leads on nicely to another one of the findings that you've, you've detailed, which is thinking about how law firms are commercial enterprises. And so whilst there's the additional uh, element to your writing and your thinking and obviously how you interact with in the office, there's also often a, a kind of added element and dynamic to what you're doing in terms of, you know, like any other business, a firm is needing to make money and it's your job in some capacity to help with that as a fee earner or in other, in other sort of support sense. Um, this is something that's obviously, I think, has a really big commercial focus and that's that's also been reflected in the data of the report. Um, but I was really interested to sort of hear your thoughts in terms of how this this broader sort of commercial awareness-based thinking is actually necessary or prevalent in in, uh, in other areas like family law, for example. It's 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 throughout, and even if um, even if you uh, start your career after university in in, in a in a charity, basically, you know, if, if mm-hmm. you work somewhere uh, local or a citizens' advice line or wherever you work, uh, where you apply your legal skills to to genuinely help people. And that even if it's pro bono work, it's still you. You still you are a resource yourself in that process. And you, uh, the more the more experienced you are, the more resources you'll be managing. So other people, mm-hmm. or or big facilities or whatever it is, doesn't matter. And and everything needs to be done um, with a consideration of you know, is there a good payoff to my investment of time? Or yeah, time is an easy mm-hmm. example, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. so. It doesn't have to be a super commercial law firm for this to be relevant at all. It's it's true. It's true throughout. There's obviously mm-hmm. levels to it, of course. I, I do appreciate that, but um, generally, everyone will have to really consider. You know, is this an investment of my time or is it a waste of my time? You know, what's mm-hmm. the return for whatever goals that we're achieving? If if it's if if, it's, if the goal of the organization is to earn money, then that's pretty straightforward and easy to calculate. If it's something else, then there are still clear objectives as to what work qualifies as as good work for mm-hmm. the organization, and um, yeah, we were quite surprised by that one too, to be honest. Um, but maybe that's just because you know, for for us as outsiders, we, mm-hmm. we didn't have the appreciation yet, and uh, we as a, as a firm, of course, have a heavy commercial focus generally. So <laughs> it's our mm-hmm. bread and butter sort of thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, the, the feedback that we got is that uh, junior talent often doesn't appreciate how the law firm actually works, what qualifies as, as good work for the team, whatever their, their area, their specialty and their strategy are. Um, so they would accept clients and or would be tempted to accept clients in that they just don't fit um, that, um, that matrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, I think the, the key thing really for if you are a junior lawyer yourself or an aspiring lawyer and... Uh, you will be measured by your financial performance. Yes, mm-hmm. you will have to be a legal expert. And yes, the client feedback has to be great and service. But at the end of the day, it's going to be your contribution to, to PEP, to profit per equity partner. Um, that's the ultimate measure. If you're good at that, then you'll be progressing faster than all your peers. It's, you know... It's it's not quite as black and white as I'm as I'm portraying it right now, but that's mm-hmm. what it comes down to. I think that's really the core and the strongest uh, measure for for all junior talent. And if one doesn't understand how uh, how PEP is being calculated and how you can influence it, then then you're basically missing out on a career opportunity. Mm. And I think that's really interesting how it's reflected in the recruiting as well. So you, you obviously surveyed all the participants and stated that seventy one percent 
would actually recruit a 2-1 candidate who had, you know, developed or at least shown signs of this kind of commercial acumen and this understanding of um, the basic economic and accounting sort of principles ahead mm. of a first candidate. So I think that's kind of echoing a little bit about what sort of running through the rest of this sort of report and what we're talking about, which is, of course, your academics are important, but there's, you know, a lot more kind of secret source to, to being a good lawyer and everything else and the sort of skill sets <laughs> which are necessary um, in order to really thrive and really kind of pre- perform well um, in, in these firms. And I think I wanted to talk a little bit more about the sort of remaining three kind of collectively, Mm. because I think they all kind of refer to culture in some way, or at least the kind of approach that a firm is taking kind of beyond just the numbers and and the economics and everything else. Mm. Um, The first one was really interesting to me as someone who, who, who had an experience within family law and, you know, really liked certain elements near the ability to um, solve problems, the ability to do legal research, actually speak to clients. To me, it was the kind of emotional content of what I was doing, which was, you know, kudos to people who do it. It's it's an incredible job. But for Mm. me, I I found it hard to sort of go away and switch off at the end of the day when I was dealing with, you know, wills and probates and all that sort of thing endlessly. Um, And this sort of second finding was really interesting to me because it was was discussing how um, uh, law is much more sort of emotionally challenging than the intellectual challenge, which I think is discussed a lot. Um, And also seeing how this is kind of reflected across the profession and practice areas uh, as well. Yeah, no, it's it's um, that that's something that uh, we maybe weren't so surprised by because uh, mm-hmm. again, it's as you you know family for example, right? Like uh, the sort of I don't know thick skin you need to develop in order to really be good at it, um, and your ability to work with a wide range of people people you might not like but still genuinely genuinely really really need your help. Um, that's tough. That, that's a really tough area. And of course, then the more sort of head to head area of, of law, of, you know, when you get into litigation, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> there's going to be, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of confrontation and, and, you know, even personal attacks and so forth, just as measures of tactics uh, that you have to, again, grow a thick skin to. And but um, what uh, is interesting is it's not just I think maybe the expression of thick skin is, is a bit misleading because it would um, uh, suggest that you just have to have like armor and a shield up. And, and that's to an extent is true. But what mm-hmm. we also learned in the feedback is that in the different areas of law, the feedback that we got throughout is that the ones that are emotionally, you know, Hmm. more resilient and have that emotional intelligence, which are obviously two very different things, but they are mm-hmm. being developed quite similarly. They, the feedback that we got is that if the people, the, the, the junior talent that really knows, I said this earlier already, but it's like, you know, really knows who they are. And, and that's, that's not quite getting it across, but like, you know, they, they understand mm-hmm. why they're doing what they're doing. They know why they're going to be working ridiculous hours in their career going forward. They know why they're going to have all that confrontation as a day job, you know, who would pick that? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, but they know why they, they have a, they have a goal, they have a clear plan and they want to work towards that. And they are the ones that uh, will have that resilience because they can just dig deeper uh to 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 you know bring up that energy that's required to just overcome it and but they also know how when it is too much they they are very sensitive people that's the feedback that we got in different areas of law different skills are required but when it comes to emotional resilience and intelligence the ones that are more sensitive are the ones that are more successful and that counts especially in litigation which um is could be a little bit controversial but basically the feedback again that we got is 
the ones that can are sensitive and can read the other side better can influence the other side better because they know where their buttons are. They know how they tick. They know how to get them to listen to you. Um, and and uh, but that's that's you know that's something that you obviously don't learn at law school at all. And then they mm. don't know how you could even learn that in a, any sort of academic classroom sort of setting. So, mm. um, but there are tools out there uh, for to help junior talent and senior talent um, to to learn all about that themselves and start listening better to themselves and others. So there's there's a lot to that can be done. Mm. And and you mentioned sort of working hours and and sort of working culture um, Mm. in your answer. And I think this is something which is perhaps true across the profession and maybe students or or anyone else won't want to admit is that, you know, it's a very demanding career and you you are going to be expected to be working uh, not just hard, but also long at times. And, and, you know, with sort of peaks and troughs and and different deadlines to sort of manage. Um, And I think what was really interesting reading um, this this fourth point on on sort of working hours being the opposite of being effective, (laughs) um, long hours at least, um, was how uh, sort of firms are looking for individuals who can be reliable and consistent and and kind of step into the work and and be there and available to help the sort of associates, the partners and everyone else they're working with on a deal. Um, Just based on your findings, what were some of the examples of, of that work and some sort of actionable advice as to what that actually looks like in practice? Yes, so uh, this this area is is uh, really interesting, and also the as the title suggests and the text in that section as well, it's super contradicting. Contradicting. Mm-hmm. So the I think when it comes to work ethos, there is um, in most law firms nowadays uh, is still as true as it probably like a few decades ago. Um, it's it's impossible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably the best way because um, there are all these pressures and it's it's going to be an extremely challenging career for everybody. Um, you are expected to work long hours and be proactive in the way you work all the time. And especially as a junior, uh, that's quite difficult because you haven't got all the skills yet to, to do all the jobs yourself. You're mm-hmm. at the beginning of a learning curve and you're dependent on more senior staff to, to guide you through that process. The learning process is very much dependent on learning by observing and, and uh, repeating what the others are doing. Um, so you, you really need to, so for example, one thing that was shared with us is when you're being given a problem that you don't know how to solve, don't waste your time and go back with, oh, I don't know how to do this. Can you just help me? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that, that gets a little bit frustrating after a while for, for this more senior staff that are equally stressed and busy, uh, but actually maybe, uh, think about what options could be right or could be po- like are available to us. And uh, do a bit of an analysis with the data that you have and the knowledge that you have of which ones are the most likely to be successful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, go back and say, I'm not sure, but should we go into that direction and then have a discussion about it and, and demonstrate that you really are not just, you know, waiting for input, input, but did try as much as you could yourself. And and then finally, I think that also leads really nicely onto the, the sort of last key finding that you, which you covered, which is the idea of mistake culture. So obviously there's a yeah. lot of pressure to not just perform for the, for the sake of the partners and everyone else you're working to, but ultimately to the clients and their sort of level of expectations and then wanting to get their money's worth with everything that they're sort of doing on, you know, these huge at times million pound deals and or if it's a family matter, something which is critically important to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this kind of key finding details, uh, mistake culture. So for perhaps people who, who haven't heard that term before, what are the sort of basics of what mistake culture is and how, what it looks like in a law firm um, and, and, and how it can really impact um, the, the effectiveness of not just the junior talent, but everyone else within within that within that firm? Yeah, it's, 
that that one was really surprising to us to be honest like i i've said that already about a few others as well but this mm -hmm. one in particular and and also the data shows this own shows it only half the participants actually emphasized this to us at all the other half uh, didn't even think that was a relevant point so it, it i think goes to show a lot in in how divided the sector is uh, when it comes to it so basically mistake culture is about how does the organization treat when somebody screws up um mm -hmm. Especially in law, that's a huge problem because lawyers are not allowed to make any mistakes. Uh, mm. They they are for generations now uh, are being seen by by society as you know um, very smart people who are the ultimate experts on their areas of expertise, whatever it is, mm. and and you pay them a fortune because they know everything. They don't screw up, and it's if the if it's uh, like a, a contagious uh, matter, then if the other side uh, does something wrong, then you know they're going to exploit that mistake. So it's there is there is uh, if somebody makes a mistake, and we are all human, we always make mistakes all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it is actually usually uh, associated with shame. It's not something that you would. It's very unusual for a lawyer to say, "Oh, I'm not sure on that." Let me double check mm. that for you. You know, mm. it's 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 just is not part of the culture. But what that means is for the junior talent first, of course, is um, they 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 pick up on that immediately. It's it's, it's pretty transparent in that regard. That mm -hmm. even the junior talent who are right in the middle of a learning curve, um, even they are not allowed to make any mistakes. But they will, as you know, it's it's unavoidable. But how is that? How is that occurrence of a mistake then being treated in the organization? And if it's not being embraced as, oh, that's annoying, but why did it happen? Mm. Uh, but rather, that's annoying. Why did I even hire you? I thought you were smart. You know, um, people are then uh, not willing to to admit to mistakes. Mistakes are being covered up and obviously then they, they, they spiral and, and uh, things get even worse. Learning opportunities are being missed. Uh, improvement opportunities for processes are being missed. Um, and 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 that's obviously a horrendous situation that uh, a, a a truly effective and profitable organization needs to avoid. Um, so many law firms who are, are conscious of this issue, um, they they've been able to turn their culture around and and still not you know <laughs> still still not congratulate anybody for making mistakes. Don't mm. get me wrong, mm. but uh, there is no shame associated. There is there is cover by the more seniors to say, oh yeah, no, I should have double checked that work rather than pointing down to the junior and saying, you know, he really screwed up. Mm. Um, and and uh, and the effect that we've seen and we've implemented changes like that uh, in, in in other projects before is 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 astonishing. How the whole organization is able to suddenly come forward with all these great ideas of, oh yeah, I, I know we've always done it like it, but it's a little bit rubbish to, to work the process like that. We could uh, save hours, if not days of work every month, if we would just introduce a little bit of technology there or a process tweak there or whatever it is, right? Mm. Um, so it's, it's, there's the impact, as I said, for junior talent that then isn't, uh, is being robbed of the, of the, of the opportunity to learn because they, they don't want to admit to their own mistakes. Uh, but also for uh, far more, I think the far bigger picture is that the, the organizations who embrace mistakes as opportunities to, for improvement, they are so much more profitable uh, at the end of the day. 
Fantastic. Well, a great insight there to, to finish on. And I think we've, um, well, I don't know if it's possible to paint something like a blueprint for, for people to be high achievers, but hopefully we've sort of given a bit of a light on the on the path to doing so. Um, and for people who are either looking to enter the, the sort of profession and practice or those who, who currently are to, to learn a little bit more about the sort of ins and outs of um, of practicing law and some key skills to brush up on outside the sort of expected academics and, and everything else. So um, mm. fantastic. Thanks so much for, for coming on, Michael. Where can people go to learn more about yourself and everything that we've obviously talked about with the report today? The report can be found on our website. That's uh, Kies, K-I-E-S, Consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's only about 20 pages long, but uh, you can have another read. Um, the report sits uh, in phase one of a, of a whole strategic initiative that we have. With the report, we wanted to throw out what the as is is. And that's mm-hmm. quite interesting. But for us as a consultancy, what really gets us excited is, you know, how do we fix problems? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's what we are about. And so in the current phase, we're learning from law schools, and law firms from from nationwide as to what they are already trying to overcome those key five issues. Um, we've also developed a training program uh, with 10 modules in it that uh, is one approach of how these five issues can be addressed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're starting to test that now as well and getting more and more feedback. And uh, so we're, you know, the learning journey for us will continue on. And if people had any feedback on the report more from their personal experiences, so we're, we're really keen to learn more from from every single corner of the of the sector mm-hmm. so that'd be much appreciated um and uh, the report itself highlights a few questions where we don't have the answers to yet either so again if, if people had some ideas concrete or vague it doesn't matter uh, we'd love to hear from people great and i'll be sure to leave a, a link to the report in the in the episode description of this episode as well so people can have a little read through as well but anyway thanks so much for coming on and for disseminating this way michael it was great to speak with you oh it was my pleasure thanks harry Thanks so much for listening to another installment of the More From Law podcast. If you want to keep up to date with the show and make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and sign up to my newsletter over at www.harryclarklaw.com. You can also follow me on most social media channels at the handle Harry Clark Law. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a rating and a review on the iTunes store as this helps others learn about the show and be sure to share it with your networks. You can also support the show by donating to my Patreon, which helps support the running and production costs of the show. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.